Well, today I finished my series of sermons on the life of Solomon uh, last week. And I figured this, that with his life fresh in the back of our minds after those sermons, I want to preach at least one sermon on his famous song that he wrote. Now, we have been studying this song on Wednesday nights. And a lot of what I want to say today is been taught on Wednesday nights. But I thought it would be helpful to summarize a lot of it and expand the information to the entire church. And also on Wednesday nights, we're simply on chapter 6. But today, what I want to preach on is chapter 7, verses 10 through 13. I want to use this as a launching pad in the Song of Songs. You'll find the Song of Songs after the book of Ecclesiastes. So turn to Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs, or it's sometimes called the Song of Solomon. Now the reason why I want to preach and use chapter 7, verse 10 through 13 as a launching pad for this sermon is because this, verse, this passage of Scripture really does consolidate and boil down this entire song together because there's a passionate desire, a passionate desire between this man and this woman for one another. This word desire is actually mentioned here in this passage. And also in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, whenever after Adam and Eve sinned, it says that God gave the woman desire for her husband. And you see that God restored that first marriage, put them back together, renewed her desire for him so that they would be fruitful and multiply. This same word is a rare word in the Bible, and here it's used for another time in the Song of Songs, chapter 7, verse 10. It's going to talk about his desire for her, and then it's going to mirror image it's she's going to have a desire for him. Let's read verse 10 to 13, and I'll pray. She says this. This is the woman speaking about him. She says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine has budded, whether the grape blossoms are open and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give off a fragrance, and at our, ga- at our gates are pleasant fruits, all manner, new and old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we pray you'll illumine this book to our hearts and give us your insight and understanding. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you ever go into the ocean, you'll see that there's a lot of water out there if you're ever on a boat in the ocean. And if you look down, you might be able to see a few feet down in the ocean. And when you look a few feet down in the ocean, you may think, well, it's not that deep because I can only see a few feet down. So you jump in to walk around that shallow water and you quickly find the ocean is not as shallow as it seems. You sink to the bottom and die or something like that. The point is this. If you look at just the surface and you only see the surface and you think that's all there is to it, 
Just because you can't see past the surface doesn't mean it is shallow. That's how it is with the ocean, and that's how it is with the Song of Songs. There's a surface presentation here in this passage of Scripture and in this book. The surface is this. Oh, it's Solomon and his bride. That's the surface presentation of the book. But it gets deeper and deeper with meaning. Let me give you three levels of meaning from this book. And today I want to explain to you why we know this book has such depth of meaning. The first level of meaning in this book is the passionate love between Solomon and his bride. That's the first and obvious level. There's a deeper meaning here. This book is symbolizing the passionate love, the erotic love between God and his people, whether in the Old or New Testament. The real deep meaning of this book is also the passionate love between God and his creation. So think of three layers of deep meanings with this symbolic book. Solomon and his bride, God and his people, whether Old or New Covenant, and then God and his creation. And there's love between them. There's this passionate love. Now, let me give you some reasons. How do we know that this song, this long song by Solomon, has such deep levels of meaning and application? Number one is because of the title of the song itself. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. The very few words, the first words are this. The song of songs. What does this mean? Well, this is the similar language to the holy of holies. Well, the holy of holies means there's no other holy place more holy than it. It is the holy of holies. It's also similar to the language of the heaven of heavens. It means that there's no other heaven higher than that heaven, the heaven of heavens. The Song of Songs is, the, is claiming this, that it is saying this, that this is the song of all songs to be written. In other words, you, take, you listen to the radio and you listen to all the love songs on the radio, the love songs of history. You put all the songs together, you pile them up, you put all the passion and the desire of those songs together, and it doesn't compare with the song of songs. The book here is saying that this is beyond human level. This is something that is beyond what humans can even do on their own. This is something uh, pointing beyond just simply a man and his wife because this is something that only a man and his wife is a symbol of. This is the song of songs. Therefore, it has to be the song about the infinite love of God toward his people and his creation. That's the only way to appreciate the full meaning and depth of this title of the book. It's the song of songs. It is the love song of all love songs. There's no other love songs. All the love songs cannot compare to this. This love is infinite. This love is powerful. This love is so passionate. You can't stop it. This love is the love of Almighty God. That's the first reason you can say that there's so many layers of meaning in this book. The second layer of mean or second reasoning is because this book alludes to and it compares with the entirety of Scripture. 
The point is this. This book, there's two ways it'll do this. This book will look backwards all the way to the beginning of the Bible with symbolism and imagery. And this look will look, this book will look forwards all the way to the completion of the Scripture and even the work of Christ. And it does it with imagery and symbolisms that connect it to other parts of the Bible. Let me give you a brief summary, and that is this. Is that this book starts off with a, a desire for another kiss. Look at verse 2. She says this. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. She is desiring to be kissed by him. And when you look at this and compare it with the book of Genesis, let me remind you that whenever God made the heavens and the earth, the face of the earth is actually looking upward toward the heavens. And the face of the heavens is looking downward. So we have heaven and earth looking at one another, like a husband and wife looking at one another. And then God even fills the face of the earth all the way up to the to the sky, to the face of the heavens. So the face of the heavens and the earth are coming closer together in the act of creation. And then God kisses creation. He kisses creation with his breath. When he comes into the soil, breathes and kisses creation, get, creates Adam and Eve, Adam right there out of the dirt. And then you can picture this symbolism here that creation has loved the kiss of Almighty God. And the creation wants more. The creation is looking up to heaven, looking to be transformed more and more into its heavenly image. But of course, the fall of man happens. And what happens in the book of Song, the Song of Songs, you have a symbol of the fall of man. The woman says in verse 5, I'm dark, but lovely. And also she talks about how she has been kicked out uh, she's been ostracized and she is a fallen creature here and she cannot keep her vineyard. And it reminds you of the book of Genesis whenever Israel was kicked out of the promised land and had to go into Egypt. And then later in this chapter, she talk, he says that you are like the, the horses in Pharaoh's chariots. It's an illusion. It alludes back to the Exodus. And then after the Exodus in verse 11, you had the building of the tabernacle. The daughters of Jerusalem say, we will make ornaments of gold and studs of silver. That's the metal used in the tabernacle. And then after the tabernacle time period, you have King Solomon building the temple. And then she says here in verse 12, while the king is at his table, my spikener, that's her spices, or brings forth fragrance. A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me. And then she speaks about the beams of uh, the cedar house. In verse, in verse 17, the beams of the houses of the cedar and the rafters. Uh, she is in love with Solomon and the temple that he has built. When you see the structure and the flow of this passage of Scripture in, in, in chapter 1, it mirror images everything from creation. And she's embodying the fall of man, the exodus, the tabernacle, the temple. And so this desire that God has uh, for His bride and His people is being pictured here in this love between her and Him. This is how the, this book in so many ways looks backwards, even at the beginning of the Bible. So, uh, thirdly, 
This song actually also looks forward. As you well know, in chapter 1, she starts off not so lovely. Okay, or not, or she's, it says she is dark and she is outcast. The more and closer and closer she grows to Solomon, she, then, she becomes more and more like Solomon. And that's why later she'll be called the Shulamite. She's a Shulamite because that word Shulamite means Mrs. Solomon. So the Lord symbolically here is taking his people, making them more and more like him because of his love because of that desire between them, and she desires to become more and more like him. And at the very end of the book, what is she doing? She is waiting on him again. Look at the end of the book, uh, chapter 8, verse 14. She says, Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young, a young stag on the mountains of spices. She's looking for his return. That's exactly how the book of Revelation ends and the Bible ends. That the church, the Shulamite, ultimately, the church is looking forward to the return of the Lord. The flow of this, past, this whole book, is, it fits with the flow of the whole Scripture. And also, you remember whenever I said that God kissed creation in Genesis and created the first man, Adam? Well, later, what would have happened as... Uh, in redemptive history, the Holy Spirit would put the body of the Lord Jesus Christ in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And that was a prototype of when the body of Christ was put in the grave so that the earth would give birth to a new humanity. And before that death of Jesus Christ, they pour perfume and spices and myrrh all over his body that spikenard the woman comes and and pours that fragrant oil all over his body and the disciples y'all the disciples are what saying why are you doing this that's an expensive oil and jesus says she did this for my death prepare me for my death the reason why that's important is because oil the spices the fragrances Everything in the Song of Solomon about that is, pre- is preparing for that act of love between the husband of wa- and wife here where they will become one and love each other. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom and he is preparing to give his life in an act of love on the cross to die for creation, to die for his bride and that is going to, he is going to fulfill the symbol of love here that's mentioned in Song of Songs. So in summary, these three quick points I've mentioned, it's the Song of Songs. It looks backwards throughout the Bible. It looks forward throughout the Bible. Jesus fulfills the significance of this. The fourth reason why we know this song has such deep meaning beyond simply this individual man and woman It's because the imagery of the woman that describes her body in the book is land imagery. It's land imagery. And so as God looks at the land of Israel this time in history, he's describing the land or describing the land as a woman or the woman as as the land and other animals and things. Look at chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 1. 
He says, you have dove's eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down the mount, from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep which have come up from the washing, each one of which bears twins, and none is barren among them. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built for an armory which hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies. Here, you see that the woman in the passage of scriptures is being illustrated with all this land imagery around Israel. And so you catch the deeper meaning when you realize this is God talking about his people. This is how God looks at his bride. His people and says, I love you. You are beautiful. I want to be with you. I desire you. Not only is the woman illustrated with land imagery in this book, but also the man. The man is illustrated with temple imagery, which we saw last Wednesday. Look at uh, chapter 6. In chapter 6, verse 10. I think it's chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 10, my beloved. No, chapter 5, verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10 says, this is speaking, the, the woman is speaking about the man. She says, my beloved is white and ruddy, chief among 10,000. His head is like the finest gold. And his locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are like the bed of spices banks of scented herbs and his lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh his hands are rods of gold set on braille his body is carved ivory inlaid with with sapphires his legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold his countenance or his appearance is like lebanon excellent as the cedars His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Everything she says here has some reference to the land of Israel, especially to the temple. In the temple, there were spices. There was the the scent of the incense. The temple had the gold all around it and the silver in it, the beauty of it. The cedars of Lebanon were in the temple. So as she is talking about him who is him well it's solomon to one degree but it's god to the ultimate degree and it's god's temple to another degree as well so this the the love here is deeply expressing the love between god and his people not just god's love toward them but also their love toward god now here's another important point about this entire book This Song of Songs helps to balance out the Bible. (laughs) Let me explain to you what I mean. When you read the prophets, they illustrate Israel as a very, very wicked girl. A bad girl. An immoral girl. A faithless wife. They illustrate the prophets over and over again. We'll talk about Israel as a harlot, as a whore, as a prostitute. You read Ezekiel chapter 16, you read the book of Hosea, and God's marriage 
with his covenant people is a really bad marriage. God is like the abused husband. And, and Israel is the woman just wandering around chasing after false gods. That's how the prophets speak over and over and over again. This book balances it out. This book presents Israel as this bride who is faithful. As this bride who says, my God, the one who I'm married to is better than any. I would never cheat on him. I want him above all. He's chief among thousands. This is why this book is so beautiful because it puts the truth in light. It, 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 it illustrates the reality of how God desires his relationship with his people and his people with him. So in that sense, it balances out the Bible because it's the right relationship, the true love between God and His people and, his, and, and, God's, and God's people loving Him. Now, what does all this mean? Let me give you three applications and significance of appreciating the substance of this book this way. Number one, it helps you appreciate the love of God. The love of God. Now, we sometimes define love this way. It's just agape, meaning you don't deserve it, and God's going to do this for you and, and save you, and He does something for you. But there's, there's a deeper level of love, not just agape, but eros, which is erotic love. It's the love between husband and wife when they get married, and they love each other. They can't, they can't wait to be together. They had that desire for each other that... God even gave Eve in the garden. And this is why in Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6, turn there, Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6. Notice this, the power of love, this erotic love. It says, Set me as a seal upon your heart and a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire. It's the flame of the Lord. That translation in the New King James is not accurate. It should say, it's the flame of the Lord. The Lord's flame, the Lord's fire, is this passionate love. And it's as strong as death. Meaning this, it can conquer death. This is the type of love that Jesus was talking about. Whenever He said, for God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the type of love that Paul writes about in the book of Romans when he says nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when you look at the end of Romans 8, it compares with the beginning at Romans 7. In Romans 7, verses 1 through 4, Paul says we are married to Jesus Christ. That's his main point. And at the end of Romans 8, Paul says, nothing can divorce us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. That's the power of God's erotic, passionate, awesome, fire-consuming love for His creation and His people. He will rescue His creation from sin, death, misery, and the rule of Satan. And He did it in Christ. Helps you appreciate the love of God. Secondly, it also helps you appreciate going to heaven. What is heaven going to be like? It's going to be like this fulfillment here of the Song of Songs. You are the girl 
who is saying at the very end, make haste, my beloved, be like a gazelle, young stag on the mountains of spices. You're looking for the Lord, and whenever you go to the Lord, you'll ascend to the mountaintop of love, and you will be as a bride who is finally with the ultimate husband. That's how much God loves you. When God takes you to heaven, you'll experience all of love, all of this, the passion of God, the love of God, in its infinite level for all eternity. This is a glimpse of heaven itself. This is why the love between husband and wife, the desire between husband and wife, is a taste of heaven on earth. And the little taste we have here on earth is just a small, small sample of what it's going to be like when we're in the presence of the flame of the Lord, the fire of God's love in heaven. Thirdly, there's a very practical application that you can bring down to this on a daily level. And that is this, that any dating relationship or any marriage relationship, it will not work if there's no genuine desire between that man and the woman. It's sad that so many people sometimes get sucked into relationships because of friends and families kind of forcing them together. And the person can't stand up for themselves and and make a good decision and, and break it off before a marriage occurs. And sometimes they even get married when there's no genuine desire in the marriage. This book right here shows you that in a dating relationship leading to a marriage, there needs to be genuine desire on both sides. And it's very harmful, very deadly, very damaging if it's not there. And in any marriage, there should always be a desire to continue to have this desire of the Song of Solomon. A desire that reflects God's desire for His bride, a desire that reflects the church's desire, creation's desire, to look up into heaven and say, Lord, we want You. Lord, come down. Lord, kiss me again. Lord, make me anew. Make a new creation. That is what all of creation is looking up forward to God for. The new creation. The intimacy between God and His people. Of course, one day, God will remove the firmament. That is what He put there on day two. And heaven and earth will become one. That would be the great cosmic marriage. So that heaven and earth are one, and the ultimate true desire mentioned here in the Song of Solomon will be ultimately fulfilled in all reality. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the power of your love in Scripture and how it accomplishes salvation, how it brought all things in the light of your countenance, And that even death itself, sin and misery, cannot stop the passion of your love for your people. We pray, Father in heaven, that you will strengthen us to have a taste of heaven on earth as we reflect the love of God in our relationships, as we reflect the love of God towards others. And we pray, Father, that your love will bring even more and millions more into your kingdom. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.